The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. 52 to 24. That's the final. Alabama wins its sixth national championship in 12 years. The the context of this game, uh, there's a lot to get to here, Tom, but the the fact is that moments before we hit record, we were just debating who would win between the last best college football team we've ever seen and this other best college football team that we've ever seen because Alabama not only, because that's the thing, like Alabama not only was like, hey, we're going to go get the SEC West. You took it from us. They not only said we're going to go get the SEC. They not only said we're going to go get the Heisman Trophy. We're going to go get the national championship. But Alabama was even like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And LSU, you thought you were going to have time as one of the best college football teams of the college football playoff era? Well, check out this undefeated record-setting season. Look at Mac Jones with how many more yards than Joe Burrow in a national championship game? One more yard than Joe Burrow in the national championship game. Five touchdowns matches Joe Burrow's performance against Clemson. Devonta Smith, all kinds of records. Mac Jones on the season, FBS all-time record for completion percentage. He also broke Joe Burrow's passer rating, which, uh, shout out to our old colleague Mac Hinton, has been broken. Have you seen this one? It's like 30 times. Well, it's all recently. It's Baker Mayfield. Then Kyler yeah. Murray broke Baker Mayfield. Then Joe Burrow broke Kyler Murray. And now uh, Mac Jones, not a Heisman Trophy winner like the others, but certainly worthy with the Heisman Trophy winning receiver, breaks the other. So um, do you want to get into the nitty gritty of the game, the matchup, or sort of uh, pick up where we, we just left off in terms of trying to run hypotheticals on what would determine Alabama's greatness in 2020? I don't know. Uh, I mean, if we can continue the greatest team debate, I know how you feel. I know how I feel. You're wrong. You're I'm wrong. Right. 
I mean, I'm telling you, the key is we just take the under 89 and a half. It's Alabama <laughs> minus three and a half. Total is set at 89 and a half, and that's too many daggum points. I don't know how the stops are coming, but we'll find them somewhere. I mean, this, like, this Ohio State team had opportunities to make this game close. This was a two-score game midway through the third quarter. Uh, I noted this in uh, my write-up for CBSSports.com, but uh, Ryan Day punted from plus territory when it was 14-7. to Uh, Ryan Day had opportunities to be a little bit more aggressive with the play calling near the end of the second quarter. You know, there were just some spots where... I think that the Buckeyes could have closed the gap a little bit more and it just, you know, they didn't catch any breaks. Trey Sermon leaves the game with an injury on the very first drive. Uh, you're missing two starting defensive linemen. We presume because of COVID, we know your starting kicker out is out because of COVID. Um, I don't, I don't walk away from this disappointed with the Buckeyes or Justin Fields, even individually, though he did not have a great game, 17 for 33, passing for 194 yards. He is the team's leading rusher with 67 yards, 33 of them on one long run. I, I think that Ohio State played pretty well. I think that Ohio State was probably the second best team in the country, and uh, Alabama still thumped them in this game. Yeah, I... I feel like as far as Ryan Day's play calling and decisions, I was not a fan of that original decision to punt early in the game, but Baron Browning bailed him out with that strip sack that set up the touchdown to tie it. And then I really do feel like the game ended when they kicked the field goal. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and the, yeah, the field goal try when you were at the six yard yeah. line, right? Wasn't it the, yeah, six yard line, fourth and goal, you could have gotten in and punched it in for a touchdown and you kick a short little field goal. Yeah, like, okay, so maybe if you don't score there, it's deflating for your team's confidence. I, I understand that argument and what you could be thinking there. It's just still at least you've got Alabama pinned up against its own goal line, so maybe they'll be a little bit more conservative in their play calling, which might give you a better chance of getting the ball back quickly, whereas if you you know kick off or they get the ball to 25, they're going to come out and do the same thing they've been doing. But it's just at that point, it's like, man, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've been watching Alabama all year, <laughs> Ryan, but Nobody stopped them. Like they just go and score any damn time they please. And if you kick a field goal, you're just doing them the favor. You're pretty much giving them a turn to, you know, expand their lead and make it a two score game on you. And once you get behind Alabama by two scores, like how, how many teams are capable of cu cutting a two score deficit against Alabama? It's, it's very difficult to do. And I just thought it was, you know, it's, but you're right. It's, you can't, you can't look at this performance and say, oh, man, Ohio State, not even on the same level. They don't deserve to be there because there were moments like it was after Alabama scored that one touchdown and it was like, OK, game's over early in the second half. And like they started, they started that third quarter with like that seven and a half minute touchdown drive. And you're like, whoo, man, now they're just in death machine mode and they're killing clock. So, you know, you're done. Or sorry, it was a field goal. I was going to say it was a seven and a half minute field goal drive, yeah. which again kind of brought this like, okay, that was a, like you said it in the live blog is like, they're still losing. But boy, that feels like a win for Ohio State right there. Yeah, yeah, it was a win, but it was also a loss because they took Seven. up half the quarter to do it and you need as much time. And then they respond right away. They go 75 yards in a minute. And it's like, all right, 
that's right. They're still they're still pretty good. That's still a good team. It was just, three plays. It was like a Garrett Wilson long pass, a long Justin Fields run, and a Garrett Wilson touchdown pass. And you're like, this is what Ohio State can do. Yeah, and it's 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 just an excellent reflection of what we talked about all year that Alabama was just different than everybody. Like, yeah, Clemson was very good. Ohio State was very good. Notre Dame was very good, but Alabama beat Ohio State by 28 a week after Alabama beat Clemson by 21. The same Clemson that beat Notre Dame by what, 24 the week before that of the conference title game? So it's, they're a very, very good team. Not the greatest team of all time, though, Chip. Don't get it twisted. That's still the 2019 (laughs) LSU Tigers, according to Tom Fernelli. Yeah, but it was, yeah. uh, It's weird because it's like I I tweeted during the game. You sometimes forget that when you're watching Alabama play that they are so good that you do tend to forget that the other teams are good, too. It's just they're still not in that same stratosphere as what we saw from this Alabama team this year who really, I mean, they kind of pitched a perfect game. They had a couple bad innings against Ole Miss in Florida, but for the most part, they were just, you know, breezing through the lineup, you know, striking out hitter after hitter, painting it on the corners. It was just, there was no stopping. It's like Mac Jones. And like, I, I, I like Mac Jones during the off season. I was the one who, when everybody like you, Barton, Danny were kind of like saying, well, Bryce Young's going to take over that starting job from him at some point. And I was like, no, I think Mac Jones can hold on to it. And he did, but it's weird because like Mac Jones threw 464 yards and a five touchdowns tonight. And he's still, you know, it's like you, you see him compared to Justin Fields and other top quarterbacks, and he's still not like a sparkling kind of prospect. You know what I mean? He doesn't have the rocket arm. He's not, he's mobile, but he's not incredibly mobile. He's accurate. And it's just, it's like you almost feel like he's like the super game manager kind of prototype where it's like, all right, you know, we've got a game manager, but we've upgraded him with some new software. <laughs> we've modernized him a bit, and now he's even better than ever before. So, I don't know. It's just, I don't even know what I'm trying to say at this point. It's just everywhere you look on that field, when Alabama's on there, they're basically better than the team that they're lining up with, except at the quarterback position tonight, where I feel like Ohio State had the better quarterback, but it didn't matter because Alabama's just that much better everywhere else. But some of it also was, I don't know if it was schematic or if it was like a mental advantage, but like when Slade Bolden is beating you to the corner. Dude, what was Sean Wade doing on bad, that play? Dude, like bad game. Like throughout, like not a great Sean Wade game at all. Like he I I the way I figure his confidence after getting torn apart by Devontae Smith all night had to just be at an extreme low because like he was just kind of jogging across as Slade Bolden went in motion following him. And then even after Bolden got the ball and was racing to the corner, it didn't really seem like Sean Wade was going all out to beat him there. You know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, is that, he was thinking he was like, man, I should have opted out like Micah did. Yeah. That was just <laughs> not a great night for Sean Wade's draft stock. I don't think. No, not a great night for uh Sean Wade's draft stock at all. And it was so funny. You're thinking about the software upgrade on uh, the game manager and I just, I don't have a good Sark impression yet, so I'm not going to do the voice, but trust me, he's the Texas head coach. We'll get enough that I'll get in there, but he's like, I could just imagine the pitch to Nick Saban. And maybe it was Lane that made the pitch that was like, is like, now just imagine you're, uh, you're Greg McElroy, you're AJ McCarron. Now what we're going to do is we're going to upgrade everything else. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we're going to put in a system where instead of throwing bootlegs, 
we're throwing screen passes and flare screens. We're having RPOs to get matchup advantages. So it's a two-on-two on the perimeter. And when you're better on the perimeter than their perimeter players, you're going to end up doing some damage right there. He probably loved the idea of the game manager who also is in a up-tempo spread attack. But Nick Saban, to uh, the credit that uh, I think we have all discussed often on here, to have a record-setting season where you average 49.5 points per game, a new SEC record, to put up 52 in a national championship game, the highest since USC put up 55 back in the end of the 2004 season. It is representative 621 yards of offense, and it's the third time that the Tide went for more than 600 this year. It is representative of his full-throated uh, endorsement of being open to innovation and when the greatest coach of all time is open to innovation and changing his mind, I mean, as long as he wants to do it, it's a wrap, man. Like he's, he's not going to win all the national championships and he's not going to win all the games. And for record, this is only the second undefeated Alabama national championship team. So Alabama can lose. Yes. But, uh, I, I just, even with Steve Sarkeesian leaving and reports of, uh, general manager aficionado Bill O'Brien coming in to be his replacement as the new OC. I, I mean, I still think that Alabama is probably going to be able to uh, have Bryce Young step in there, have Brian Robinson step in there, have Jaleel Billingsley, who I think had a great end of the season. He's going to come into next year being a big weapon. I just don't see the Alabama explosive offense is something that I think continues even into 21 and maybe even beyond. Yeah, this is it's this is just going to be the way it looks from now on. It's I mean, whoever the offensive coordinator is, as long as the talent's there and as long as the scheme is similar, like some wrinkles might look different, might be different players stepping up. But this is this is just the new reality. If you're in the SEC and you're trying to beat Alabama, you're going to have to score 45, 50 points to do it. And I, you mentioned it too, because this is only the second time Saban has gone undefeated, which is one of those facts that I always bring up when it's like I try to point out how difficult it is for any team to get through a season undefeated. But what's even more remarkable and does help your argument about Alabama being the best team ever is that the second time Saban went undefeated was in the year he had to play a 10-game SEC schedule. So no wonder he's been the lone SEC coach all these years who's not afraid to play a nine-game conference schedule and has actually argued for it because he's like, I'll beat whoever the hell the ninth team is too. I don't care. So yeah, it's it's a remarkable season. It's a remarkable team. And Devontae Smith had the over 138 and a half receiving yards before halftime, Chip. He had 215. <laughs> he didn't play in the second half. He was six yards shy of adding on to my 2020 versus 2019 because Jamar Chase has the championship game receiving record with 221 against Clemson. You just need one more catch, like one more catch. And we could have done the full Alabama sweep of like, I mean, erasing them from history. Like that's what we're doing. We're coming in there. We're just knocking them all out. Let's let's play this hypothetical. Devontae never dislocates his finger. What's the final score of this game? Uh, Alabama gets two more touchdowns. So, so. 66 <laughs> to 24. Maybe. 
Ohio State gets 300 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely hits 300. Like uh, Nick Saban even had that as a quote in post game. He said something uh, real folksy. Like his West Virginia came out and he probably said something like, "Well, golly, heavens, who knows what he could have done if he played a whole game." <laughs> it, it was yeah. It, that was just incredible what he did there. Uh, Najee Harris. The juggernaut or no? Because how many times during this game was Najee Harris stopped in the backfield and then gained seven or eight yards anyway? Oh, his yards after contact was incredible. And it happens on the passes too. So he finished with a beautifully symmetrical 79 rushing, 79 passing with three total touchdowns in the game. And even like it's like screen pass stopped, but he ends up getting seven yards, you know, rushing stopped, but he ends up getting four or five yards. Like he finishes rushing at only 3.6 yards per carry with no breakaway runs, no runs of longer than 13 yards, but it was still so freaking impressive because of how physical it is. And he was just so physically imposing all season. I, uh, I, I will miss watching him in college football, but he's already been playing at a pro level, and I feel like he's going to step in. Um, he's going to step in and not be like he's not going to be uh, in any type of Alabama back before him, just because I think his skill set's kind of unique. But I just have a lot of faith that he is going to make his way and continue to be this workhorse and probably a little bit underrated or a little bit overlooked, even at the next level. I mean, we're going to know his name, but you know, Najee Harris was the third build superstar on this team. He's probably going to be the third or fourth offensive weapon on an NFL team. And I will absolutely uh, be rooting for him and believe that he's going to find ways to, to make it to the end zone and get yards no matter what's happening. Yeah, I could, as I was watching him tonight, I couldn't help but think of Brian Kelly's comments after the semifinal loss, you know, when he got mad at Dennis for the question he asked. And he's like, you know, every time I watch Alabama, I'm pretty sure every team they're playing, I'm seeing guys bounce off of tackles and they're everybody that plays them is losing by 28. I don't know why it's just a Notre Dame thing all of a sudden. And I'm watching tonight. It's like, yeah, no, Brian, Brian Kelly's pretty right. Cause that's just what happens to anybody that plays Alabama. Cause that's an Ohio state defense. Like we talked about it. Uh, during the preview show earlier this week, we talked about it at HQ before the game started. This was a defense that came into tonight. Like, yeah, it was, it had problems in the secondary and that was considered the weakness, but it was considered a good run defense. It was for the most part, front seven considered a good tackling defense. Not tonight. But it, again, 22 carries for 79 yards for Najee Harris. You would take that. No, yes. no breakaway runs, 3.6 yards per carry. Like that's, You'd be like, that's really, really good. And then, look, the Brian Robinson stats that come in there, he had uh, 69 yards on 10 carries. Those are garbage time. Like, that was just bleeding clock time. Ohio State's players had uh, mentally done the uh, one, two, three Cancun, I think, at that point. And uh, and I I would say that if we're giving out the, the highlights for Ohio State in this game, I think that Master Teague answered the call. I thought he ran really hard. He just doesn't have the same like explosive ability that Trey Sermon does, at least in terms of being able to like turn a little bit of space into a whole lot of yards. And I do think that Ohio State's run defense, even down to starting defensive tackles, defensive linemen, I still think that they did a decent job on yeah. Najee Harris. It's just he's 
still found ways to get his, especially through the passing game as well as he totaled, you know, seven catches, 79 yards and a score, including a 26 yard score in there. Uh, John Mechie, who obviously saw a lot more work after Devonte Smith went out, finishes with eight catches for 81 yards. I mean, Again, we go back. Mac Jones had 464 yards passing, so there's a lot of yards to go around right here. But for the most part, 12 catches for Smith, eight catches for Mitchie, seven catches for Najee Harris. Like that was a majority of the receptions in the passing attack. And from Sean Wade on down, it just wasn't a, a great, great night for that group. What are you like? I saw some people doing the thing that they do especially after games, but especially when they're blowouts, it's like my early 2021 top 10 for next season. And nobody that I saw who did it had Alabama at number one. Like I saw Georgia at number one in some of them. And I, it's, I saw like Alabama two, Clemson at three. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, what the hell are you people talking about? How is Alabama not the number one team to start next season? I know Mac Jones is gone. And I know a lot of these players are gone. But how many players does this team lose every single year? So uh, shout out to Coco who came, came in in the clutch. Odds to win the 2022 college football playoff from our good friends at William Hill and, uh, and Bill, Bill Hill knows what's up. Alabama is the favorite plus 300 Clemson at plus 400. Everyone's off season, darling, including mine, Oklahoma checking in at number three on the board at plus 750, along with Ohio state uh, at plus 750. Then we take a big dip down into Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, and then you're a long shots, Iowa state, Florida, and Texas. Oklahoma fans. I'm apologizing to you now. It is not personal, but like you just said, Chip, there's going to be so much Oklahoma love all off season that by the time the season starts, I am going to be hating so hard and pushing back so hard on Oklahoma. I'll be like, nah, they'll probably lose three games. I, I don't believe it. Lincoln Riley's got his eyes on the NFL. They're distracted. You know, <laughs> I, Hey, listen, our, our audience can understand the economy of takes and that when we dig ourselves into these positions, like I even feel like I said it on the preview show. I said, listen, I'm kind of stuck with Alabama minus the points. I mean, they won, so I'm, I guess I could say, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a genius. But it was very much one of those things where I was like, I, I think Alabama's going to win. I feel really, really good about it. I think they're going to win this game handily. I think it's going to be kind of wire to wire. It's a lot of points to ask them to cover eight and a half, but, you know, whatever. We'll just, you know, stick with it. Um, in the economy of takes, sometimes you've got to short a stock and you've got to be like, eh, eh, no. I do not believe that. And I definitely don't believe it as strongly as other people believe it. I'm excited because I'll be on the other side of that because Oklahoma has a very, very comprehensive and well-staffed sports information department that send a lot of emails with a lot of good information. <laughs> so I will be locked and loaded with all the facts and stats and bios that we need to throw coal onto the engine to get this boomer sooner schooner hype train going all the way through the off season. I will be there. Uh, I'll be there leading it for sure. I will, you know, I, I know I just kind of went on Oklahoma, but I, I, I think now if we look to next year, cause they, they have the same odds as Ohio state. I do like Oklahoma's odds next year better than Ohio state's. Cause it's like, I look at Alabama and I see all the players that they're replacing. And I'm still confident that especially with like Bryce young waiting in the wings, 
and everything else that they have waiting in the wings, they're going to be just fine. I think Clemson, even having to replace Trevor Lawrence, we saw DJ Uyunglele. I'm confident that he might not be Trevor Lawrence, but he's probably going to be pretty good in hell. He might be better. Who knows? So they're still going to be pretty good. I'm confident Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler coming back is still going to be Oklahoma. It's going to be pretty good. I think Georgia with JT Daniels for a full season might, you know, deliver on some of the promise or it'll just tease us again. Like it always does. Who knows? But with Justin Fields leaving Ohio state, not as confident that Ohio state's going to be going into 2021 as highly is highly ranked in my mind as they might be in others. And I also think some of it too, is because we've Ryan day, his first two seasons at Ohio state have obviously been, amazing mm-hmm. he's been to the playoff two years both times he's been there same kind of st- deal as Lincoln Riley except the difference is he's won a game but now that Justin Fields is gone I think we're really going to find out what Ryan Day's program is because it will be year three of post-urban and bringing that talent in and developing that talent and seeing how that goes so I feel like next year is going to be a very interesting season for Ohio State and I don't know who their quarterback is going to be I know they've got they got a freshman coming in this year who is highly rated. They've got another couple highly rated guys on the depth chart behind Justin Fields, and they're going to have a competition going into the spring, and it's going to be open for whoever wins the job. I don't think there's like a clear-cut front runner. So it's it's going to be an interesting situation to watch in Columbus. I still think they'll obviously be the Big Ten favorite, but I also think they're going to be like the Big Ten favorite in a year in which they might be 10-2. and two, You know what I mean? Oh, the Ohio State treatment of like, yeah, you're better than everyone in the Big Ten, but are you that good? Like, yeah. it's just like permanently this this bubble that Ohio State has to shake. I will say we had an argument, not an argument, discussion in the offseason when uh, and watch us on YouTube.com slash cover three. You will see that a big time shout out to Barton Simmons is being made as you rock the uh, anchor down Vanderbilt hoodie here as uh, we record. But uh <clears throat> When we were saying, would it make a difference uh, if Ohio State had won the national championship in, in the year that it was ineligible? And when it went undefeated, and we talked about the, you know, well, one of its national championships also was the Miami one. So how do you consider that? It was, it was a very interesting listener question from the mailbag. Reminder, five stars, leave a review, put a question in there. We will be doing mailbags on a weekly basis throughout the offseason. You know, is it uh, a fair argument that Ohio State should have more national championships? And I brought up the BCS national championships when Ohio State would win the Big Ten and then they'd show up on the BCS national championship game and they'd lose to Florida. They'd show up and they'd lose to LSU. And I thought that that really uh, sort of helped shape a lot of this Ohio State doubt Maybe I'm too prisoner of the moment right now or too apologetic because I followed the team much more closely than I did back during the BCS era. But I don't think this game adds to that narrative. No. Okay. I just, I feel like, you know, and maybe this is, uh, it might be unfair just because this, now that I'm saying realistic, because I feel like Mac Jones, as good as he is, and as much as I like Mac Jones, and I think he's going to have an NFL career, I don't know if he's going to be like an above average NFL starter or if he's just going to have like a very solid career as like a backup or low end starter or what. I know Mac Jones isn't the best quarterback Alabama's had. And I think that there's a very good chance Bryce Young could surpass Mac Jones as a quarterback in Tuscaloosa. 
Justin Fields is probably the best quarterback Ohio State has ever had. And I don't know, like uh, CJ Stroud is the third ranked quarterback in the 2020 recruiting class. He's one of the guys competing for the starting job with the Buckeyes next year. I don't know if CJ Stroud's Justin Fields. I don't know many guys that are Justin Fields. And I think that as we've seen and as we talk about, you need that guy to compete for national titles. You need the elite top end guy who's going to be a top five, top 10 NFL draft pick kind of guy. If you're going to win national titles these days. And I don't know if CJ Stroud's that guy. I know Justin Fields is. So that's where I kind of worry that we might. I'm, I I think if either of these two teams is likely to suffer a setback next year, I, I would say Ohio state's more likely than Alabama, I guess is what I'm saying. Who in the sec is the biggest threat to Alabama heading into next season? Oh, I think it's so stupid. I feel stupid saying it, but I do think Georgia, I know, like I just said, they tease us every single year, but I do think if JT Daniels is starting the entire season and healthy for Georgia this year, they might've won the East, or at least they would have been a much more dangerous team. And they would have been in consideration for a playoffs about later in the year. And I think if he comes back or he is coming back, but I think if he's the starter and he gets a full off season of practice in their spring practice, all that kind of stuff and heads into the year as the unquestioned starter, then with a new offense built to take advantage of what they have at the receiver position, at the running back position, at the quarterback position. And then you put that with their defense. That is a threat. It's just it's also still Georgia, and it's, it seems like they're perpetually doomed to disappoint us and to disappoint themselves. But I think they're still a huge threat. I think Florida, again, Kyle Trask had an amazing year, but I'm not convinced that you can't replace Kyle Trask. I think that you know Florida has a lot of talent on there. I think the losses at receiver will be more difficult or more of a challenge to replace. But I also think Florida's defense can be better next year too. And if Florida's defense improves, I think that takes them up a notch. Texas A&M. Interesting. Mm. LSU. Eh. I don't, uh, yes, I don't think LSU is as bad as they look this year, but I don't know that they're going to improve enough to really be a difference maker. Auburn, I don't think is going to be much of a challenge next year with Brian Harson in his first season. Vandy obviously is somebody to consider. That's a real factor. It's a real factor in the SEC championship race. You always have to take Vanderbilt seriously. I like the head coaching hire. I like his presence. I like uh, the way that he has built out that staff, not just the assistant coaches, but really everybody in that facility. They've mm-hmm. just just really spot on uh, sharp staff right there. I think just bright future ahead for the doors. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Probably. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking 10 wins minimum. I don't want to put too much pressure but on anybody that works there, but yeah. I just want to let them know in case they want to. Cl- hey, listen, Missouri. Hey, alpha nerd. I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to beat Vanderbilt, but outside of Missouri, I don't know who's beating Vanderbilt. Missouri will beat Vanderbilt, but that'll be it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, that's, that's probably the game of the year right there. But no, I, I think that Alabama is still obviously clearly going to be the cream of the crop again in that conference. But if you look at that's the thing, like you look at the Big Ten, if we talk about Ohio State being a, taking a possible step back, I don't know who the Big Ten team is that's going to step up. Maybe it's Penn State. You well, know, may, may, I just don't feel good about any Big Ten team. No, I know. That's that's kind of the feeling I have going into next year, whereas a lot lately in past in the most recent years, I've had confidence in the big 10 being pretty good. I think next year is probably going to be a pretty, not bad, but 
bad for the Big Ten kind of year. So I think that's because of the season. I'm willing to give some forgiveness in my analysis, at least in terms of comparing it, because we got less games. They were all messed up with the starts and the stops and the cancellations and the rescheduling. I got to put myself in the position of the players and the coaches in terms of getting jerked around between August and September and what that must have done for your preparation, not only physically, not only with practices, but also just kind of uh, understanding what you had to do, then getting rushed into the season. I think that I am down on the Big Ten in part because the games looked bad, and I think the games looked bad in part because of how jacked up of a season it was for them. Fair. And I think that that is probably definitely playing a role in my feeling of the conference. It's just, I don't know, maybe next year's the year Pac-12 finally gets a team in the playoff again. I don't feel great about any Pac-12 teams either. No, (laughs) no. We'll probably have two SEC teams in the playoff (laughs) next year or two ACC teams, or maybe Notre Dame gets back as an independent. I don't know. Hey, with Matt Campbell doubling down on Iowa State and uh, Charlie Kolar coming back, I mean, you know, we could could see something uh, a little bit spicy uh, going on. So I hope I wish for nothing but uh, full health for Derek King in his return. We've also got Alabama-Miami to open the season. You've got that Ohio State Oregon game that we thought we were going to get this season will be next season and Georgia Clemson to kick off the year in the Duke's Mayo kickoff classic. Catch me, man. I I hope I, this is this is manifestation right here. I want to be double vaccinated, covered in mayo, midfield Bank of America Stadium for the coin toss between Georgia and Clemson. When, uh, when did Duke's Mayo, like at what meeting was it where somebody was like, you know what, this is, this is the time. Now is when we strike. Now is when we make the college football sponsorship push. I <laughs> like, mean, what does, as a mayonnaise company, as a mayonnaise producer and manufacturer, like what do you have to, like is are you really going to make that kind of a push into the market share like oh look out helmets <laughs> duke's mayo sponsors a bowl game now <laughs> i think it was a right place right time scenario you know like retail malls are down closing up shop much love to modern southern style but belk was like i don't know if we can do it anymore And Duke's mayonnaise was like, I can tell you that in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia greater area, those BLTs have Duke's mayo on them. So that's the thing. Like, I'm waiting for Duke's to make like its Midwestern push because, I mean, I haven't been to a grocery store in a while, but the the last few times I've been in a grocery store, I haven't seen any Duke's up here. So it's like... Are you guys going to follow through and try to push into new markets? Are you just trying to dominate that little regional spot? This is our mayonnaise recap pod. Yeah, the, it's it's an ACC. Well, the Duke's Mayo kickoff classic is an ACC SEC like tied in thing. And the Duke's Mayo Bowl isn't always ACC SEC, but it has been this year. Big 10, obviously in there with Wisconsin, but uh you know, I've, I've got some friends around there. Maybe, maybe I'll see if I can get you some Duke's Mayo. 
Maybe I'm just mad because I'm like apparently the only college football media member who did not get a free Duke's Mayo Bowl t-shirt. I oh, I didn't get else. one. Well, what the hell? It's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I can be bought. Let's <laughs> yeah, be clear. It's fair. All right. Uh, any lasting uh, notes from the pad about tonight or the college football playoff in general? Uh, as we're going to really do a more in-depth look into the 2021 season on Wednesday's show. Thursday, we'll have a mailbag. Again, five stars, leave a review, put your mailbag question in there. We will tackle that on Thursday. So uh, in, anything else from the playoff you want to make sure we highlight? Uh, no, but I do want to just say like any any player, coach, staff member, medical staff member, whoever might be listening, thank you for everything that you had to do this year to get this season played because I'm still not 100% convinced that this was a season that should have been played like morally or ethically or whatever, however you want to look at it from that point. But I'm glad it was. I'm glad that it provided the distraction. I'm glad there were no major disasters. I'm glad everybody got through okay for the most part. And I'm glad that we were able to see the conclusion of it tonight. And I appreciate the sacrifices that all of you made to help make sure that it did happen. Players didn't see their families for months, didn't go home, had to get tested all the time. Uh, A big part of the uh, pitch on amateurism, some may call it the amateurism sham, is is the idea that the value of uh, the education is also in the educational experience and in having the opportunity to be on a college campus and live life as a college student, that that is part of the deal between this free labor that you're providing for the entire ecosystem. And that just didn't exist. Students were on campus or in college towns but you sure weren't allowed to hang out with them. And you certainly were not encouraged to do any of the fun things that you and I associate from our experience on a college campus, because I agree, like there is some value and you can have a great, um, you know, growth experience from that. None of that existed for these college football players uh, that were doing everything they could just to be able to get through the season. So I, I like that. I like, I like that as a good note to end on. Good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Again, back on Wednesday with a early look ahead to 2021. Mailbag on Thursday. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. Perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com.